0: The Writer's Room, a Seventh C podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium Inc. For more information, visit www.chaosiuminc.com forward slash Seventh C. Hello, friends.
1: Hey. Hi. Oh, look at your face. It's beautiful today. Holy (laughs) crap.
0: It has been a while. it has been a while. while. For anybody who's just joining us and have no idea what this is, this is the special episode where we answer all of those burning questions that you have asked us in our Discord underneath notes with the narrator queries. If you're not a part of our Discord, please go do that. Our Discord link will be on our link tree in this description for this episode. And if you're listening and you're trying to find it right now, I will guide you. Go to Discord, find Hands of the Rose with the little rose emoji next to it. Our symbol is our black flag, which is skull and crossbones with roses on it. That's where you'll find us. And if you have questions, ask them in the thing, and we'll answer them on a special episode like we're doing right now. It's a Newton Query episode!
2: It's still weird to me. I don't know how many times I have to say it still weird that all of y'all listen to the shit that we have to say.
0: Over and over again. Not even just once.
2: Mm-hmm. Multiple times.
0: All right. So let's dive into these, shall we? Your splash. We shall. Let's finish off this question. The Merry Fool, you have waited very patiently for this question to finally be answered. There were 10 NPCs involved in this question. And so finally, with the last four, we can finish it off. You asked... What do the crew think of the relationship between Wayland and Jesse? We have answered as Charles, Cosette, Mama Coco, Ursa, Boots, and Roz. We now just need Hawthorne, Elliot, because Elliot is now part of the crew, Klaus, and Jory. Uh, And Agnes, I guess. I guess. And
2: (laughs) whatever. Agnes. (laughs) I don't know. I
0: guess. guess.
1: What do you mean? I guess. I
0: don't know. Whatever. How dare
2: you? What is it at at Angie's? uh, I don't (laughs) know. How dare you? um, Whatever.
0: (laughs) You know what I love the most about that is the fact that we just left off on the uh, mid-season cliffhanger where Agnes is going through a terrible ass time.
2: There was a beautiful moment with Agnes.
0: Agnes means a lot to us. You just
2: fucking killed hauled her for no reason.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. I was going to
2: say you threw under the bus, but
0: we don't have buses. I keep... I keel hauled her.
1: The only reason we keel hauled Agnes is because she was too lazy to swim. So we just hooked her up <laughs> to the prow. She's just like
0: listing
2: there underneath the boat. She's like, It's like whenever people walk their cats and the cats like go sit down for a nap. You're like, No, we have to go. And they drag the cat like along the ground. I'm
0: so tired, Jesse. Agnes, are you
1: asking us to keel haul you? Is that yes. what you're asking right now? <laughs> right. Okay. Good. God, we've established that.
0: I can't reach my body. With these flippers. Good to
1: know.
0: <laughs> this is a back massage for is... <laughs>
1: I'm getting into Elliot mode. For the listeners at home, I I merely put on a pair of glasses.
0: <laughs> Evan, are you going to do Hawthorne?
2: I think I could channel a Hawthorne pretty decently.
0: Wayland, you're doing Elliot? Evan and Wayland.
1: No. <laughs> no, correct. Wayland is going to be doing his impression of
2: Elliot. So Patrick's impression of Wayland <laughs> of Elliot. Of Elliot.
0: <laughs> Did I really say Wayland? Yeah. Yes, you good. say that all, the,
2: you, you call Patrick all the time. All Yo, the time. Wayland and Evan. I, fucking and Evan.
0: <laughs> I fucking miss you, okay? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, it sounds like he missed Wayland.
1: No, what's happening here is Zoe is spending far too much time editing. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, you're right. You're
1: Once we right. start making some real money, if you have editing experience, start putting in your resumes now.
0: Please, I need help.
1: So Wayland, what are you What are you taking?
2: <laughs> what, what, what do you got? I'll do Elliot. Oh, hey, yo, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. I'm That's out.
0: Confirmed. PG, it's
1: PG. Confirmed. Hang on. Whoa. I said what I said.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. That's it. You heard it here first. The Welliot ship has set sail. I know. I know. I'm just making sure. I like to imagine that reality tv shows where it's like a side room and then elliot is brought in and there's like a the little
2: documentary style the office parks and rec what we do in the shadows
0: yes absolutely and the, like the bar shows up and it says elliot roberts master of antiquities hang on i have my uh
1: i have my notes right here no that's the wrong book
0: So, uh, Elliot.
1: Got this one over here. Elliot? Yep, yeah, I, yeah, I I had a feeling, I had a feeling that you guys were going to, uh, ask some questions about, uh, maybe some of my recent findings while I've been on board the ship, um, (laughs) just wanted to get to the right page of the right notebook, you know, it gets very difficult because these things fill up very, very quickly. Yeah,
0: do you, uh, do you even know what question we're going to ask you?
1: Well, I was going to try and anticipate with some of, you know, my my recent findings. Um, but but I do suppose that it might be, uh, wise to, perhaps hear you out first. Yeah. Um, but I do have my most recent notebooks ready. So, uh, whenever you're ready, I'm ready.
0: I'm ready right now. So, what do you think of the relationship between Wayland and Jesse?
1: The relationship? What do you What do you What do you mean? Oh, no. I, oh, um,
0: what? oh, yeah. What do What do you uh, What do you
1: think, got,
2: think
1: about them? What do you got there, pal? Well, well, I um, I I I I have a, a great amount of uh, respect for for Jesse. Um, I, I think he's uh, he he can be a bit of a wayward soul sometimes, but uh, I think he's you know when it when it comes down to it, uh, he's a a good captain. Um, and 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 Wayland is. Is, uh, um, y- you said relationship between the two of them? Um,
2: there's so much to unpack here. I
0: I thought they were friends. Um, I I I think they're. I more friends. or less meant the dynamic between the two of them.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs>
0: hmm.
1: Uh yeah yeah no no I I th- I think they have a great working dynamic I think that they balance each other very very well uh, I think their friendship is uh, quite the the backbone of how the ship functions on occasion um, not to say that Jesse doesn't have a a equally important relationship with the rest of the crew I think that that you know. It, it's important to form uh, these bonds with, you know, everybody that you work with, uh, not just because you work with them, but like outside of work and everything like that, but not to let that get too overlapping. I'm talking a lot. Yes. Have I sufficiently answered the question? Yep. And can I go now, please? Yeah, you can go now. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to ask me, perhaps about uh, any any Siren artifacts that I uh, might have been looking into, any new design Actually, for the ship that Waylon Elliot, and I have been working very closely Elliot, on together? Elliot. Yes.
0: I'd like to ask you about your relationship with Wayland I'm gonna leave now wait Elliot wait come back Elliot <laughs> Elliot okay
1: <laughs> you asked for that
0: and when you got up and walked into the closet
1: look I had to go somewhere <laughs> that's the opposite of what's happening here buddy <laughs>
0: The camera switches over and it's Hawthorne. Uh, Hawthorne, we know that you're very busy. We just have one question. Yeah, who are you? What the fuck do you want? We just want to know what you think about Wayland and Jesse.
2: What does that mean? What about them?
0: Well, we, we have a question from our listeners. Uh-huh. We want your thoughts. Why do my thoughts fucking matter? Hmm? The people want to know, Hawthorne.
2: Yeah, they want to know? Yeah, yeah. They want to know so badly. Pulls the camera over to the side of the ship. Oh, uh, do you see what? that cannon hole on the side here? Do you want to know why half of my mast is splintering? Oh. Do you want to know the stains that I have to clean up on whatever's down in the galley right now?
0: Uh, we can smell it. Do you want to know all about that? No, you know what? Hawthorne, I think we're all set. We're sorry to have bothered you. Do you need any help? No, I. Do I look like I need any fucking help? <laughs> no, 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 we didn't mean it like that. We meant as in, like you know, to, oh, to you, help you. You didn't, did no, you? No, we didn't. Nope.
2: I think this interview is over.
0: You're one hundred percent correct. Sorry, we'll compensate you for your time. I uh, appreciated. Yeah, right, thank you. I know you will. Talk to Cosette about it. We will, in fact. Good day. Good day to you too. Oh God! Holy this shit! This is the toughest interview I've ever had to do in my life. Stop. Brace? That was a perfect Hawthorne impression, by the way. <laughs> Delightful. Hi, friends. Editing Zoe here. I purposefully didn't record my responses for Agnes and Klaus because I would put them here in post. Welcome to post. <laughs> Agnes, what do you think about the dynamic between Jesse and Wayland? If I'm being completely honest and allowed to speak freely, of course, by all means. Will. They're kind of like an old married couple, really. They're talking to themselves most of the time. They have little asides here and there. They constantly fight and bicker. I wouldn't be surprised if one day we have a wedding of sorts. And Klaus, what about you? What do you think about the dynamic between Jesse and Wayland? Do you want my honest opinion? Of course. I would want nothing less than your honest opinion. Jesse und Wayland. Both have the same level of self-destructive tendencies, which concerns me on a personal level as well as a professional one. It's very difficult to do my job on a daily basis, let alone having to constantly tend to them and make sure they have enough platelets in their bodies to continue to function. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them were trying to outbleed the other one. But our captain and our master-at-arms will be who they are. I'll just have to keep them alive in the meantime. Thank you very much, Klaus. We won't take up any more of your time. Yavol, I'm sure I have to go tend to them. They've probably gotten into trouble. Again. But they keep me in a job. I better come with you and yell at the both of them again. Toodles! Shelves asks, question for everyone. How do you know you found the voice for a character?
1: Wayland really just started off as a Scottish accent. (laughs) As far as, like, the voice for a character, I think there's a couple different things that go into it. I think one of the major factors is who the character is, their personality, and how that informs a lot of their mannerisms, what some of their quirks would be in speaking I tend to draw a little bit here and there from real life as far as what my vocal quirks are, you know, especially with Wayland in certain situations, like certain high stress situations that are more comedic. Wayland's voice will go much, much higher than it normally would. And that is something that I kind of take from myself, but obviously in a much more exaggerated fashion. I think it takes time as we are doing a live play of the game, those voices will develop and change over time. And I don't think it was really until like, oh God, maybe until like episode seven or eight, where I really started feeling like I had Wayland's voice, where I really started feeling comfortable with where his characterization was going, where I started to notice a lot of the speech patterns that I had been using to differentiate Wayland from Patrick and from the rest of the crew. I don't think there is a science to finding the character. I think once you find the character, it's when it becomes comfortable. It's when you can knowingly slip into that character and it feels different from you. Once you've hit that point, I think is when you've found
2: the voice for the character. That's my perspective, at least.
0: Evan, you have thoughts?
2: Zoe and I at work, had spent some time doing just dumb bits and making stupid voices all day long. And I remember one of them ended up being very similar to the voices we have for Jesse and Mama Coco. And for me, it was like, my inspiration came from Pirates of the Caribbean. Of course, I loved Dalma, Calypso. The way that I describe accents is very physical to me in the sense of how your mouth moves. And so I use accents as flavors. You can taste the flavor of a different accent based on the way that your mouth contorts and changes to those accents. There are very particular instances in which I'd kind of assigned some flavors to a voice the first ones that really came to mind that like stuck out to me was Billy Boyd saying The Last Goodbye in Hobbit Battle of Five Armies. There's just like a couple of lines in there where you can really taste this Scottish accent to it. And that to me is like a distinct flavor. And so the, the flavor of Jesse that I found didn't start out the way that it is now. I decided on it 15 minutes before we started playing. And I don't even remember what the other option was that I had before we started recording. I'm pretty sure it was more of a Spanish accent. That's funny because I can't for the life of me do a Spanish accent, which is one of the accents I'm planning on learning next.
1: I think it's really interesting the way that you and I will create character voices because I think we do it in the reverse of each other. Whereas I will start with... Where is this character from and what would their accent be? And then i build their personality afterwards. And I think you do it the reverse. You build the personality and then you figure out what flavor to add on afterwards.
2: I really do my best to stay away from characters that are stereotypes. I will start with a stereotype because that is what is most easily accessible into that avenue of accent work. And then I will take it and I will pull it apart and find the things that I like about it and find the things that work for my character and find the things that work for my own mouth. Speaking is hard. Words are hard. Words are really, really hard to say. And depending on the accent that you have, words can be easier to say or they could be a lot harder to say. So with Jesse, the way that I've argued it up to this point is that he's from... And this is the way that I described him earlier today to my friend, is that he is from like the ultimate melting pot of the world. He is from a place where so many different people come and live and find a life for themselves. And so Jesse has this whole concoction of flavors connecting it there. There we go. Segways there. He has this whole Bunch of flavors that are in there from the people that he's grown up with and spent time with on Board the Rose and spent time in the Jenny's Hall with and spent time at the Bucket of Blood. I wanted something that was Barbados Jamaican-ish, but not as like fully aggressive on top of it because he is a very laid back, stress free for the most part, intentionally guy. So I started with basically a caricature and just worked my way down and just kind of dug and sifted through. I remember going on YouTube and finding videos of people that were talking in the accent and then just kind of mimicked and then adjusted from there. But it takes time. You have to start from somewhere, whether it's a phrase or if it's an accent or if it's a facial thing that you do to like get you in the motion of it. You got to start somewhere.
1: And that's the other part of it, right? Is that there is a physicality that comes with the character. Like you and I don't necessarily just have the vocal mannerisms. We also have the way that we'll sit in our chair or like, you know, when we're getting into a particularly serious scene, one of the things that I notice, especially with Wayland, is I will tend to hunch over and get a little bit closer to the microphone.
2: I tend to lean on one arm and put my arm out. And then Jonah, I'll tend to like kind of get all like snarly.
0: Your eyebrow rises.
1: You speak out the side of your
2: mouth. Yeah.
0: For me, I do a lot, a lot, a lot of research. There is a fantastic resource International Dialects of English Archive, dialectsarchive.com. And I personally speak Greek, I speak German. And English, obviously, and a little tiny bit of Spanish. Do you? Yeah. Do you speak English? Uh, That's news to me. English is hard. (laughs) English is fucking hard. English fucking sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And so, I, having grown up in a multilingual household, it was really easy for me to pick up on not only just the different accents, but the different regions of accents. Look at the US.
2: You have your southern, your western, your east coast, your fucking Minnesotan style Midwestern. You have yeah. California. You have your closer to, to Mexico. You have the native folk. There's so, so many people. You have the, you know, Creole folk down south. Louisiana. There's lots and lots and lots of different voices, at, especially here. You go into Canada and you fucking have Montreal mm-hmm. and the Quebecois. Oh god, There's so many accents.
0: At least these characters, or any character that I create anyway, I speak in the accent that I want to try and replicate as much as I possibly can. I will read the backs of ingredient labels. I will pick up a newspaper or look up an article and I will read it in that accent. And I'll also pick up on all of the different tonalities and the emphasis of the words. That's another thing too, the emphasis on the words. So when you're projecting, you could tell that I'm speaking Italian because I'm projecting. And then there are accents that I refuse to do because A, I cannot do them justice and B, I don't feel comfortable doing them. Polish, for example, is very difficult for me to speak and so I'm not even going to attempt it. We know that, spoiler alert, Hanako, is from Fuso, which is totally not Japan. I am not ever going to do a Japanese accent. I will, every once in a while, say the word for captain in Japanese, which is daicho, and, you know, yes and no, but that's about it. That's all I'm going to do for Hanako, or anyone from that region, just because I just don't feel comfortable doing it.
2: I play a Fusoese character. You do, in our other game. And... I make it a point not to engage in any stereotypes or anything offensive. I was just
1: about to say, and I think we've mentioned this before, with all of the accents that we do, we try to do them as much justice as possible. But if we do find those accents that are too difficult for us to do without bordering into the realm of stereotype, you will never hear us do them. I will probably never do a North African accent. There's a difference between accent and cadence. Yes. And every single different region that accents are from, the speech cadence is much different and is very distinct and unique. And you can get across being from somewhere without doing the accent just by speaking in the cadence of the region.
0: Mm-hmm. I really enjoy doing Mama Coco's accent. It's something new for me. It is a, as Evan had said before, It's a fun mouthfeel, and I just enjoy her speech patterns and some of the words that she says. I actually found a, in one of the articles, you can hear it, Mama Coco swears in Haraguan, which is totally not Haitian. And she (laughs) says, may only mosquitoes go to your funeral.
2: Oh, God. (laughs) That's brutal. To round this off and to answer the question, you know that you found the voice for a character when it feels right. As long as you feel comfortable with it, you could always change the voice of a character until you're comfortable. And if you can, talk with folks of those cultures and those that have those types of accents or know people that have those accents.
0: Yes, absolutely. All right. Gray asks for Patrick.
2: Ironic. <laughs> rave <Gemma> <laughs> yeah, that rave,
1: general Rick.
0: That's good. <laughs> How did Waylon deal with being non-binary in the ATC?
1: Oh, that's an interesting one. I mean, I guess the short answer is that they didn't. We've never really addressed the question of how gender is perceived within our version of 7th C.
2: Let's talk about that now, because I think that's a pretty easy question to answer. I think so, too. To me, it feels like it's accepted. It is. I don't think it's a topic
1: that's much discussed. I think it's... You present the way that you want to present. If somebody uses the incorrect pronouns, it's a quick correction, and that correction is accepted. That being said, when Samwell was in the ATC, I haven't really thought about it a whole lot, but I don't know that they had transitioned yet.
0: Oh, yeah,
2: What is Samwell's pronouns?
1: When Samwell became Wayland is when Wayland really started questioning their gender. And within that period of time, when... Wayland was adopting the identity of Wayland Greywall and really wanted to like recreate themselves that they were like, "Oh, I don't think I feel comfortable using those terms for myself anymore." Cuz if you've heard the descriptions of what Samuel Flint looked like, Samuel Flint was a burly dude with a big, big long beard. The answer to that question is he didn't. He just didn't. And even if he was, it would be a generally accepted thing. I think we've only come across one character who's ever really made a point to misgender another character. And that was Finn aboard the Nightingale. And he is a particularly evil bastard.
0: That was on purpose. I had to put a disclaimer in the episode that it was purposeful misgenderment meant to be harmful. And I felt nasty doing it. Ugh, I'd I would never want to do that again, actually. Yeah,
1: and I and I would say we probably wouldn't never do that will. again. I think that was maybe a one-time thing. And it really showed that this individual is an outlier within this society.
2: Not all the sea of monsters are inhuman.
0: Yep. Speaking of Finn, Mel Silvercrow asks, what happened to Finn when the Nightingale came up? last we saw, they were knocked out and locked in the brig for realsies.
1: I've kind of been flipping a coin on that. Part of me really (laughs) wants to say like, yeah, he fucking drowned. He's dead. He's gone. It wasn't intentional. It was just sort of an unintended consequence.
0: I think I'm okay with Finn having died.
1: I think he's just dead. He's I think. just dead. I just don't want to ever see him again. Never I don't again, want an really. excuse yeah. for him to, to return. I think he is probably a shambling corpse on Jonah's ship at this point.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh, so Jonah would have definitely taken that guy.
1: Yeah, I think he's just, he's in the locker somewhere.
2: I'm gonna pick you out like the nicest fry. In the McDonald's fry box, to give you. Oh. <laughs> oh, wait, you sound good when you snap them. Not soggy or nothing. Oh, God.
0: Last question regarding Finn while we're on the topic. V Sword Dancer, Officer V, asks, when Wayland was threatening Finn, I know they were playing into his fear of vengeful ghosts, but in listening to what they were saying, was any of that Paga coming to the surface? Like how Jesse has to deal with his hand trying to take control, or was that all Wayland?
1: As interesting as it would be to have it be Paga coming to the surface, I think it was all Wayland. Wayland might have been channeling some of that like otherworldly presence that Paga can give off, mm-hmm. but the relationship that Wayland has with Paga is so viscerally different to the relationship that Jesse has with Jonah. The only reason that we've ever seen Wayland interact with Paga is to learn a lesson, right? Yeah. And whenever we see Wayland channeling Paga's mantle, they're not channeling Paga themselves. They're channeling Paga's power and essence. But the way that it's described in the book is that the knights are not a reincarnation. This is not an entity that rides along with you. This is an entity that you are embodying. Yes. You are the next example of this sort of preternatural force within the world.
0: Yep. We're going to delve more into that in a future episode. Yes, we are. All right. We're all done with Finn. Finn, to answer your question, Mel Silvercrow. Fuck him. He's dead. (laughs) (laughs) He's dead. Straight up dead. School on, aka Sam from the notes for Evan and Zoe. How did the white rose stay out of ATC hands when Jesse's mother was captured? Mm. How did it come into Jesse's possession when he grew up?
2: Has he had any other interactions with members of the crew apart from what we saw in the Black video Adventure? Oh, this is such a good question. I think about this a lot, mainly because of how I have to think about Jesse's backstory. I, hmm. What I will say, because I don't want to say too much, because I would love to explore this in the future. The Rose stayed out of ATC hands when Sedona was captured because that was their entire goal. They were almost caught and they had to go undercover. They had to keep everything on the DL. So they, they went in, they rescued Jesse and were unable to take Sedona and they just had to lay low for a while. I think that they probably docked it in a secret port somewhere and paid off a bunch of people to keep it quiet and maybe sailed a different ship for a little while it came into jesse's possession i like to imagine he went back and forth between the jenny's hall the bucket of blood and the rose with her crew when they started sailing again and over time he kind of grew into it like a pair of shoes and i don't know if it was an all-at-once thing or if jesse took the helm with Her crew for a little while and then at some point they just retired and he ended up finding a whole new crew but at some point there was a transition period in which Sonona's crew passed off the car keys to Jesse. He'd spent so much time on that ship getting to know it that he knew it like the back of his hand pretty much. Oh, that was a weird phrase I didn't intend.
0: (laughs) Fuck. Well, you get it. Here we are.
2: <laughs> That's pretty impeccable. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Has he had any other interactions with members of the old crew, apart from what we saw in the Black Betty adventure? Yes. Few and far between. Other than spending time sailing with them, I don't really know if more recently with him as an adult adult. I don't think that Jesse spent a ton of time with that crew. I'm sure that he did when he was younger, but in his more adult age era, I don't know how many of them he really got to see. When he saw Elijah, it was like, wow, I haven't seen this guy, like my fucking uncle, since I was a lot younger. Since at least after he was broken out of Fort Freedom.
0: To add to that, the way how Sedona planned literally everything was on the eve of either your 16th or your 18th birthday, the White Rose showed up in Harbor in Aragosta and they walked up to you and were like, here, your mother wanted you to have this. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs>
2: Happy birthday, Captain. And he's like, whoa, what the fuck? To clarify
1: something, I think of in the initial part of that question, when Sedona and Jesse were captured by the ATC, it was just them. Mm-hmm. The rest of the crew were not captured. They had the Rose somewhere else entirely.
2: The rest of the crew was not captured.
0: Yep, Sedona had planned that. Yes. That the Rose would not be captured. Because she planned the capture. She planned it all the way through. If you listen to the Rose of the Ataban episode, everything was planned. So that's how it managed to stay out of ATC hands. And I do like the idea that there is some hidden alcove island with enough provisions for them to stay there for a couple of months, lying low.
2: Sedona, of all people, has... An infinite amount of uncharted islands and whatever else. Lunara being like the least of them.
0: <laughs> an island you can only get to using a crystal.
2: There are these places, Sea Beast, for instance.
0: Yes. The first
2: place that mm-hmm. comes to mind, if you haven't seen the Sea Beast, great movie,
0: oh, is so that
2: witch's island, which she gives them the giant nightingale spear. That kind of like very, very sketchy backwater secret exchanging of hands and money is absolutely the kind of place where you would find the crew just laying out for a while and staying on the down low.
0: Yeah. We got to switch over viewpoints here to our documentary style. Greg, would you mind?
2: Oh, God. What? What What do you want?
0: We have some questions for you. These are from our lovely listeners, the people who visit every two weeks. They
2: better not involve dairy. <laughs> It's dairy, it must be burned, ask away.
0: All right, guess again asks, what is your favorite type of tea?
2: Yes, what do you mean favorite? There's a favorite, you would have to choose one?
0: No, we don't have to choose one, I guess. I guess all of them could be your favorite.
1: <laughs> Between your children, Greg, which one's your favorite? <laughs> I
2: love all <laughs> of them. All right. I do not have a favorite tea, they are all simply delicious.
0: Wonderful. Ray Fadan asks, what is the preferred methodology of tea preparation?
2: I am particularly partial to Japanese tea ceremonies. I think they are wonderful. And the tradition behind them is very soothing and calming. I've always been a big fan of how they're taken and prepared. And it's very nice and sentimental. And it means a lot. I personally am not great at it, but when I have my tea prepared, if I have, like, the option and the choice to do so, I'll have it prepared that
0: way. That's lovely. Very good. And Daglin asks... Oh, boy, here we go. Is, oh, I gotta hold on. I gotta... Why do you both
2: sound so nervous? You know what, Zoe?
1: I need to go use the bathroom real quick. Uh, I'll
0: be no, right back. Uh, uh, please don't leave me a... Stop. No, sorry! You're on your own! Oh, Patrick, wait! Evan, you're still here, right? Yeah. You gonna be here with me while I ask this question?
2: Yeah, what's... What's wrong?
0: <sighs> Daglin asks, is all milk verboten, which means forbidden in German, Greg. Like, is goat milk acceptable? Oh, please don't look at me in that tone of voice.
2: Hey, I'm back. Is it over? I'm going to encourage you to ask another question. Mm. Okay. I think that's your answer, Daiglin.
0: Yeah. oh. Uh, <sighs> I'm just going to look through my notes here and see if I have any more questions for you, Greg. Coffee prepared any way you like from Keith?
2: Coffee's fine. I don't drink it all that often. If I do drink it, I drink it black with some sugar. But no. And I repeat, absolutely no
0: dairy. I feel like this is the meme that's like, don't make me tap the sign. (laughs) Ding, ding. Gregory, we actually do have one final question for you.
2: What can I do for you, Zoe?
0: Listen, I'm real sorry, but Nate, aka Captain Cinnamon T wants to know what did the dairy do to the goblin? So what did dairy do to you, Greg? You don't have to talk about it if you don't want to.
2: There are some things in this life that are best left unspoken. Okay.
0: Gregory, do you need a hug?
2: No, I wish to be left alone.
0: Okay, you can take the rest of the day off if you want. Okay.
2: He's going through a lot.
0: All right, don't make me tap the sign.
2: We don't talk about dairy, no, no, no. We
0: We don't don't talk
2: talk about about dairy. dairy. What do you prefer
1: your tea in aside from the writer's room mugs? Do we have favorite
2: tea or coffee cups? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I I do. I do drink coffee as well. I only try to get coffee from Dunks. I sometimes get the Girl Scout from Mary Lou's. My coffee of choice is a medium caramel swirl ice latte with four shots of caramel and whole milk from Dunks. Is that or fucking nothing? <laughs> the tea that I drink, I, I believe I mentioned this before, I drink Tavern Brawl from d and phenomenal tea. Mm-hmm. And typically... I will drink it in... I have a custom pirate mug that I got off of Etsy. I'll find the name of it. But I also have another mug that is very special to me. I have a mug by a guy by the name of Nicholas. And he makes phenomenal, phenomenal mugs and plates and vases and all sorts of kitchenware. And they're all like really nice painted pieces that have animals on them. One of the ones that I have is from when I was a kid... My family had, I think it was either my mom's or my dad's, had a Nicholas Moss mug, nice big mug with a couple of cows on it. And I still have it and I use it all the time. And it just, it reminds me of home and I love it so very much.
1: Oh, he's out of Kilkenny.
2: Mm -hmm. Ah. Yeah, they still make stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, my Nana had a bunch of these.
2: Yeah. Yeah, these are great. If you go into mugs and you look through any of their animal stuff, you will find one of the cow mugs i'm sure
1: yeah these are all oh, i'm gonna have to get me one of these i h- highly recommend it is a special type of porcelain it's the the blue and white pattern I know oh what you're talking i about.
0: know exactly what you're talking about it's the dutch yeah, one right
1: right pottery delftware mm. so i have a delftware porcelain mug that has a mustache protector on it
0: oh my god <laughs> it's
1: built in it is it is molded into the into the porcelain uh, and that is as it's un, it's unfortunately a small mug uh probably like a eight or ten ounce coffee but it is it is still one of my one of my favorite mugs to drink tea from despite the fact that i no longer have a glorious and curly mustache
2: before i forget zoe and i have a friend named Brittany who is in the Storyteller Squad. And she has her own pottery business called Ocean Blue Ceramic. And I have one from her and I love it with all of my heart and soul. It is such a nice little mug.
0: I have a little tea set. I have one with a handle and one without, and they are the perfect size. They're like maybe six ounces. It's like a a greenish bluish kind of glaze color. I love it so much. Uh, it's cozy.
2: Highly, 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 highly recommend.
0: I have a little bowl that I eat my raviolis out of. It's the perfect size <laughs> for soup. I'm going to get a whole set. It's going to be great. Um, this is our official plug for you, Brittany, if you're listening.
1: You can find her at Ocean Blue Ceramic on Instagram.
2: Yes. I love my friends.
0: Yeah. All righty. So we have a question from Lord Truel for all three of us. How do you manage to agree on where the story goes and how characters evolve? Is it pure improv? Do you talk about it before? And for me specifically, I have my own question. I'm going to just voice my opinion on this. I had an ending. (laughs) And for a while, we didn't talk about what was going to happen at the ending. I would talk specifically to Evan, and then I would talk specifically to Patrick, but we wouldn't talk, all three of us, about what was going to happen at the end. It wasn't until this most recent episode that we decided that, well, if we want it to go the way how you have it in your head, you should probably voice it out loud so that we can all be on the same page. And so the only thing that is semi-scripted is the season finale.
2: Even then, it's not scripted. It is quote-unquote scripted the same way that every single episode is done based on the mechanic of the game, which is stories. So nothing is scripted. We just have an idea in mind.
1: Caveat. Yes. I tend to talk with Zoe as far as like where I want Wayland's story to go.
0: I think to answer the question of, do we talk about it before? We do on a vague, vague basis.
2: Yeah. When I think story-wise, goal-wise, when my character has a goal, It is always so far ahead because I am so optimistic that way. It's really funny because I was asked this question earlier by my friend Robbie because he started listening to the podcast. And...
0: Hi, Robbie, if you're listening. Hello, Robbie. Thank you.
2: I love you, buddy. He was like, do y'all like spend a, a really long time world building beforehand? Or do you go in and yes and everything? And I said, honestly, it's kind of a mix of both. Thankfully, the world is very fully established. Thanks to John for designing it that way. We fuck with that. We fucked with it and made it our own for sure. We've taken the time to sit down and actually make it our own, both out of game and in game. We also do that on a moment to
1: moment basis too, with like, you know, whenever we enter a new area, we'll establish things that are in the area
2: in the moment. At the end of the day, to me, this is still a TTRPG. And to me, TTRPGs are inherently improv-focused. And so because of that, I try not to plan a ton of stuff, which is why I have a really hard time starting a new story. Because I I am reactive to what is happening in the world, and I, I have a weird feeling when putting my foot in the doorway first. So I like, I like the doorway to open and then kind of close and I'll put my foot in and push it back open because that's what improv is to me. Granted, yes, there are plenty of times in which I make a decision in the moment and that isn't talked about at all. And
0: (laughs) blindsides me.
2: Yeah, it blindsides everybody. What happened with Roderick, that was a very, very much in the moment decision there's something coming up that was also a very in the moment decision. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that had neither of those things had been talked about previously whatsoever. But in terms of big things, like story beats that we want to hit, those things are talked about. I think more of the evolution comes from the improv bits as opposed to the the like quote unquote scripted bits. Because those are the most natural reactions of the characters. Us deciding where Jesse and Wayland are going to plant their feet in the ground and step forward isn't natural by any means. We can obviously guess based on who they are as people. What would make the most sense, air quotes, for their story. But it is the, the moment to moment decision making That really tells how characters evolve. Yeah, it's like, is this something that Patrick would do?
1: No. Is this something that Waylon's going to do? Absolutely. He's going
0: to do that. Mm -hmm.
1: That being said, never make shitty choices that are going to negatively affect the real people at the table and use the excuse, well, it's what my character would do. Yeah, don't do that. That's a shitty thing. Don't do that. Don't
0: Don't be be that
2: guy. guy. But feel free to hurt your characters as much as possible in order to have- Great story development and character development. Correct.
0: Back ending of that question: How much railroading is there in your game? <laughs> I know that we talked about scripts. I actually don't want to call them scripts ever again. Yeah,
2: I don't either. It's the story mechanic.
0: I want to call them an outline.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So when you're when you're writing a story, you've got your you've got your outline, you've got your first draft. You've got uh, uh, however many drafts come after that. And then you've got your final draft and things like that. So this is like an outline. I've got really broad strokes of where as a game master, as a narrator, I'm putting my input towards the story. I am telling your story. Absolutely. That's what the narrator is for. But I'm also telling the story of the world and how the world is reacting to you. So, I don't railroad them. In fact, I give them exactly what they need to do to complete a season, and they choose when they go off and do it. A season could last five episodes. It could last 50 episodes. It's however long they want to play it. And if it narratively makes sense for the season to end, then absolutely. fucking
2: I want to describe this in with the most love I possibly can. The way that we had the quote-unquote story beats outlined for this first season felt like what you would find in Skyrim in your like quest tab. We have like, okay, we have to hit these certain things in order for us to really progress on top of like our, our own individual character stories. Because yeah, the world the world exists and we affect it by our own decisions, but the world also affects itself with its own decisions. So, but how we get there is anyone's guess. It's entirely up to us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we kind of not that we didn't speed through to the final bits, but personally, it felt like we caught up to the very last bits so quickly we were getting through things
1: and not intentionally at like sort of breakneck speed but more and more important things kept happening because of the choices that we made and it got to the point where it was almost anxiety inducing it was like oh my god so much is going on right now so fast railroad fuck that analogy this was a roller coaster and we were at the final hill and we were like, wait, we're not ready to go over and essentially said, too fucking bad, bitch, we're
2: here. Yeah. That's how stories work. That, like, final buildup in conclusion is a very natural—if you look at any TV show or any movie— It starts off slow, and it starts building, and then when you get over that curve, then it all starts piecing together and crashing down. Yeah, the momentum just takes over. Momentum back to the station as fast as you can, so that's what it's felt like, but not in a bad
0: way.
1: No, in in the most exhilarating
2: way. Yeah. It's like whenever you go to play a Zelda game, and near the end, you know it's time when they're like, okay, save your game here. This, this is, is the point of no return. Forward. Yeah. Are you sure you want to continue? And I think you
1: said that to us, Zoe. Once we go into this final act, there's no turning back.
0: I did. So
2: that's what it feels like. I don't by any means feel railroaded. No, neither do I. I like what Brendan Lee Mulligan has said before in that the world should have rails that exist. You need guardrails. You don't need to be railroaded. Yeah. Yeah. We don't feel railroaded whatsoever.
1: No, and I think it would have been narratively unsatisfying at a certain point had we been like, no, we need more time and
2: gone a completely
1: different direction.
2: It wouldn't have made sense. Let's do 500 side missions before we finish the final mission. And the final mission is just like chilling here the whole time.
0: We need to go find new curtains for (laughs) Idetakumbo.
2: Alduin,
1: the world eater, is breathing down your neck. Meanwhile, we gotta go help the blacksmith gather 15 fire salts. (laughs) Sorry, guys, you're just gonna have to wait.
0: I put the season-ending story much like in many RPGs where they ask you, are you sure you want to continue? Once all of these steps are completed and you make for the goal, you cannot go back. How would you deal with corruption points? I've talked about this previously on another Notes with the Narrator. I actually enjoy... Corruption stories and redemption stories because they are juicy as shit. I even changed my ruling for it because fuck you, John Wick. We We love love you, John. John, Fuck fuck you. you. (laughs) Would it even happen to have a character commit murder? Yes, it would. There are three things that you have to do. You have to commit cold-blooded murder. You have to torture and you have to not help someone when you are perfectly able and capable of doing so. Those are the three rules. All right. Our beloved Ellie asks, what would Wayland and Jesse wear for Halloween?
1: I really want to say that Wayland would dress as the and just for the
2: fucking hell of it.
0: <laughs> hell yeah. Love it.
2: <laughs> if
1: you say Jonah, I'm going to
2: slap you. No, I was I was going to say Jonah, but the first thing that really came to mind was kind of in the same vein of what I wore for Halloween like 20 years ago, which I wore a very goofy, shitty dinosaur costume. I think Jesse would wear like a Kraken outfit with like a bunch of fucking tails <laughs> and like a marionette bit so he can like move a bunch of the tentacles around. Very
0: good. I love that. For the record, Luciana would wear a tiny pineapple costume.
1: Very good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Officer Nightingale, our good boy, Craig. Right. Is Jesse right-handed, left-handed or ambidextrous? And if his spooky ghost hand is his dominant hand, how does that affect his ability to do things, if at all?
2: I love Craig. Craig, I love you. You're so wonderful. I like making my characters left-handed. There's just not enough of them in the world. I'm also left-handed. So if I'm going to like instill and imprint myself into my characters, the easiest way to do it is to make them left-handed. That being said, I definitely think Jesse is 100% ambidextrous. So, spooky ghost hand is used very often it is used for when he's sword fighting because that's how he was trained when he is existing and just doing his day-to-day thing i think it's fine it really becomes not fine when jesse starts to lose his cool because when jesse loses his cool jonah gets involved and when jonah gets involved that affects the way his hand does things in whatever moment it is unless jesse could pull it back so love it
0: Shelbs has several questions. Let's see if we can answer these rapid fire. What are your favorite head cannon ships of the characters? Pick one. Pick one ship. We're just gonna focus on one.
1: <laughs> it has to be head cannon because we've started making some things cannon that we I mean, really wanted to do.
0: <laughs> the question says head cannon, so if the head cannon became a real cannon, that's fine.
1: Yeah, Jory and Agnes is an easy one. Ursa and Raz for me. I've always been curious
2: about the relationship between Miles and Hanako. Miles Beckett was Jesse's original master gunner and Hanako Nishimura, who was her first mate. So I think I feel like there's there was something going on there. I just haven't decided yet. And obviously it's headcanon, but obviously it's still a thing. I I don't know why. I'm not I, I know why. I just, I love Sedona and Sebastian. They just like, they feel just, I I know that they're separated by technicality. I don't know if they're divorced. I don't know what that deal is, but like, I don't even know if they were married in the first place. But I just, I love oh, I, Diego Luna is just such a soft man and I love him and he's so sweet. I feel like he's such a sweetheart. I'm making that canon.
1: He's a sweetheart. I have one that's very funny and one that you'll hate.
0: Mm-hmm. Give me the funny
1: one. The one that's very funny is Elaine and Mad Jack O'Bannon. O'Bannon, uh, Cuz I think yeah. that's just very funny. Yep,
0: <laughs>
1: the one that you'll hate is Reese and Stroud. <laughs> oh.
0: Uh wow.
1: Tell me I'm wrong, man. Tell me I'm hey, so wrong. Hey, so next
2: question, huh? How do we feel about that next question? Shells. There you go.
0: Sheesh. As a- <laughs> I love you, Pat. I love you, too.
1: (laughs) I'm not sorry. I don't apologize for that.
0: I have a headcanon of Elaine and Bonaventura.
1: Oh, oh, oh. Thirsty sword lesbians. Alright. Hey, you know what? (laughs) I love that game, and I love that concept.
0: Also, not to bring it up again, but, uh, you know, there's Brokeback Bay, so.
1: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All of y'all are obsessed with Brokeback Bay. It's fucking ridiculous, man. (laughs) God damn.
0: God damn. Uh, All right. The next question. As a history nerd, I have to ask you, have you done any historical research for your characters slash game? And are there any real life inspirations or influences? We kind of already answered this a little bit. So only drop like one sentence here on who, uh, who your real life inspiration is and your historical research. Shelves, to answer this question on my end, everything is a real-world analog, and so I did have to do a lot of historical research for totally not things.
1: It's difficult to come up with anything else that we haven't answered yet. I mean, to reiterate, Wayland and uh, Pongabagabo, the very successful World
2: War II sniper, Mm. yeah. Or World War I, I believe it was. Jesse likes the wind. (laughs) So...
0: (laughs) No,
2: I purposefully, I don't like history all that much. I just, I'm not really good at remembering it. I think that all of my influences were external and came from my desire to have someone separate from an analog of our world. Great question.
0: For all three of us again, was there a particular scene or interaction that turned out great, but was not how you expected it to go? Yes.
1: Yeah, several.
0: Roderick. Roderick for sure. I thought Jesse was gonna fucking kill Roderick the same way of Even rude I thought it was Evenrude Part 2, Electric Boogaloo.
2: Speaking of Evenrude Part 2, I wasn't expecting myself to make this decision. But when we met Connor, that was a decision that I wasn't expecting. That I was I'm very, very happy about how that went because of the implications of what happened. I love that. I love giving myself bad consequences.
0: Clearly, What about you?
1: The finale. There were certain things that happened at the finale and how that all went that I was not expecting it to go that way. Again, we had the final moment. We knew what that was going to be. Because that was something, like, to make it narratively satisfying we kind of had to plan out just a little bit. But, yeah, I didn't expect a final battle with Jonah. I didn't expect us to fight. I didn't think that that's how that was going to go with us doing that, like, tag team. I also didn't expect to fight him at all. I didn't know what Waylon's reaction to Jesse revealing what the deal was was going to be. I had played it a thousand times in my head, and there were a couple things that I, I wanted to do that just didn't end up being right in the moment. And there were, like, things that Waylon wanted to say.
2: Do you remember
1: what they were? Waylon wanted to have maybe, like, a longer moment with Jesse of just, like, truly apologizing, trying to explain
2: everything. Oh, okay. And I like that better that they didn't get that.
0: Nothing. No closure, no nothing. I thought about it. I was like, man, wouldn't it be really fucking cool if I had Jonah show up and instead of having a conversation or trying to bargain with them, like I really wanted that battle to happen for two reasons. One, I wanted to see what you two would do when faced with Jonah. Two, I wanted to reveal the villain because when you first interact with a villain the very first time, you are not meant to to defeat them. And
2: we haven't really had an interaction with him.
0: Right. It was always through Jesse. It was always a conversation or or a feeling or a flashback. We never faced down Jonah. And then last question for Shelves right now for everyone. Which characters had a dynamic that surprised you? I'll
2: tell you what dynamic has surprised me. Agnes and Jesse.
0: Why did Agnes and Jesse surprise you? It surprised
2: me because... I don't think Agnes was intended to be any big part of the crew. She was just like, okay, we have this girl here who is Bay but is is our cabin kid and just like kinda of does her thing. I didn't expect Jesse to feel like a big brother towards her. I wasn't expecting to feel that way as Evan towards Agnes. I don't really consider any dynamic, any particular dynamic between anybody other than Jesse and Mama Coco. And Wayland. Yeah. There are two that I didn't
1: expect as far as character that I play to other people. One did not expect Mama Coco and Wayland to have so much in common and to like become very, very close friends. Mm-hmm. Did not expect Wayland to fall for Elliot. When I pushed for Elliot to be brought on board the crew, I was just like, this is a guy that knows about artifacts and shit we need one of those people like this would be a great like i think like character wise the way that you initially played him zoe was just so uh, like adorable and endearing that i was just like oh i want this guy to stick around like i like this guy (laughs) and then because initially he wasn't supposed to even be a part he just was a guy he he yeah pure chance encounter.
0: It didn't exist in my head because Evan is the one that came up with him.
2: Is that what happened? Yes. Was I just like, there's a guy there. There's totally
0: a guy there. Oh. And I was like, yes, there's a guy hiding behind the tree.
2: I gave you your almost boyfriend. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) In that moment, it was like, all right, cool. So now there's a guy hiding behind the tree. I have to make him memorable, right? I asked myself three questions, three things, three quirks about this character. I was like, all right, Milo Thatch from Atlantis, because I really like that. Glasses that always fall off his nose, which is why he wears chains on them to catch them. And he cannot stop talking about his favorite things. And that was it. I was like, sweet. Here we go.
2: Yeah, that that dynamic also surprised me because of, I think, what your thought is, Pat. Well, so... I never really had an
1: initial plan. Like, from the get-go, I didn't have any sort of initial plan for Wayland romance. And then as time went on, I think I asked you, Evan, I was like, what do you think about Wayland and Jesse? And we kind of came to the conclusion that they were just going to be friends. Like, we didn't know where that was going to go. And it ended up veering off in just a direction of, like, "Nah, they're brothers. And then Shade happened, and I was like, oh, fuck, hot, hot, hot fade them." All right, okay. <laughs> and from the moment where I was like, come on, we're friends. And Shade gave me the evil eye. I was like, oh, we're not friends. I'm determined for us to be friends. Enemies <laughs> to <deep> lovers.
0: <laughs> it's
1: like, I will make sure that we are friends and maybe more. And then that is now wildly impossible because of things that we have decided.
2: Speaking of our enemies to friends, on the opposite end of that, friends to enemies, except enemies that is also friends, Mad Maeve and Audra. Her dynamic with herself was fun. Yeah.
0: Yes. That is very interesting because it didn't used to be like that. Yeah, no, it did not. The way how Patrick gave Audra to me as an NPC. I took that and I was like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if the the very thing that you said happened to you that really didn't happen to you actually happened to her? So I took that, slapped her with it, gave her this kind of like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde complex, and then it got worse, better? We're gonna figure that out, but the dynamic has changed drastically. From the original thought, yeah. Question for Jesse and Wayland from Keith: What are your drinks of choice, and are they your real life drinks of choice as well? Please pick one. Wayland loves his fucking sweet fruity drink, pina colada, daiquiri,
2: something frozen and sweet, hard macaro. Yeah, Jesse's and also mine is the Malibu Sunset. It's coconut rum with orange juice pineapple juice and grenadine on top. Love that.
0: Photos to follow up on that, asks, what is a food that Jesse and Wayland are dying to eat? Please pick one.
2: Are we talking dying to eat as in like, oh, I love this and I, wa- I haven't had it in so long, or I've never had this and I want to have this for the first time.
0: Dying to eat, it's like you've had it, you want it. It is something that you will literally kill people for. That's the question. What is the thing that they will stop the world to have again?
1: Oh, good, hearty, Avalonian lamb stew. That is probably, like, the one really salty thing that Wayland always craves is, is like, a good lamb stew.
2: I know Sedona is Castilian, and I know Sebastian is Castilian, but I I feel like they made homemade Mexican chili. Like, chili or beef stew. I feel like that shit slaps. Because that slaps for me.
0: <laughs> oh, for
2: sure. It's like ultimate comfort food and like some mac and cheese. Oh, God damn.
0: <laughs> Shit slaps. To counter that, Keith asks What foods do Jesse and Wayland never want to eat again? Please pick one.
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like Wayland really hates squid.
0: Okay. Love that. I imagine the, uh, I think it's the Duran fruit.
1: Oh, yeah. Durian fruit. No, fuck that. Yeah, Wayland adds- yes, yeah that's fruit. <laughs> that was the one the one fruit wayland doesn't like oh
0: yeah and then they cut it open and you're like why does it smell like rancid garbage they're like no, no no it's gonna be good i promise
1: if wayland found an island that was just durian fruit that had like no wildlife on it he would absolutely petition the entire crew to burn it to the fucking ground <laughs> you want to know what jonah eats that's what jonah eats That is the
2: devil's fruit, (laughs) fuck that thing. (laughs) I don't know why, I just feel like Jesse ended up on a fucking random island by himself one time. He just washed up on an island by accident and he had to eat like a crow or something. Oh yeah. He didn't like cook it or nothing. It was just like, I'm gonna eat this bird. Oh, I never want to eat this bird ever again, fuck. But you had to. God damn, they all say it tastes like chicken. Mm-mm. They're
0: liars. All right. Keith asks, what are the crew's thoughts on Elliot and his books? But I want the answer of the follow-up question. What do Jesse and Wayland think about Elliot and his books? So let's get that interview scene again. So what are your thoughts on Elliot and his books?
1: I love the kid to death. I love him so much. I really do. I can't work under these conditions.
2: Wayland, that's your fault. You put him in your room. I
1: understand it's my own fault. That doesn't mean I don't regret certain aspects of
2: it. You're very quick to pull the trigger.
1: You know what I think of Elliot and his books? I think Elliot and Kazette need to spend some time together so that Kazette can teach him a filing system.
0: I like that Jesse has said that you're very quick to pull the trigger. You being the master at arms whose sole job is to pull triggers.
2: Look, you made that decision for yourself. Said it was fine. I let it happen because you wanted it to happen.
0: The man needs to
1: learn some discipline.
2: You need to learn some patience.
1: There are certain things that I think could be improved upon in certain situations, like a filing
0: system. Waylon, we actually have a question specifically for you. Mm -hmm. What do you really think about Elliot? There's a scuttlebutt going around.
2: I'm going to (laughs) go. No. Uh, good luck, Waylon. You're not leaving me to <laughs> this. You're, fine. You're not leaving me to You're this. Fine.
0: Good luck.
1: I care very much about Elliot. I am going to leave that statement where it stands. And if anybody has any questions for me on the crew, they can feel free to ask me within point blank
2: range. Okay. Time to bring out the L word, Scott. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's another question, if she could, would Mama Coco have actually said yes to Wayland bringing a baby Makara on the rose? Follow up, this is the question I want answered. Would Jesse allow a baby Makara on the ship?
2: As long as he doesn't have to take care of it, sure. Somebody's going to be a baby <laughs> Makara, mom or dad. Parent. I will say in hindsight,
1: perhaps it would not be the smartest thing because at some point, it's going to eat parts of the banister on the ship and Hawthorne will kill me.
0: Mm-hmm. V Sword Dancer asks, what do folks do to prep for sessions slash get into character? I know listening to music helps, but are there specific things folks do consistently to help them get into game mode, the character mindset? I can answer this with every NPC. I have a catch sentence where I've written it out phonetically, how it would be pronounced, and I then speak that sentence to get me into the accent of the character as well as the mannerism they're in. I also prep myself some tea and eat dark chocolate before every session.
1: Yeah, I have like candy and sweets and stuff that I that I have usually, or like some sort of snack. I have a cup of tea, uh, and then my trigger phrase for Wayland is very simple. It's right. so
2: that's it. <laughs> I don't do anything. I know that is a shitty answer, but. Nothing ever really helped me get into character other than just sitting down and doing it. I go from zero to 100 and just do it. I drink my water, but mostly I just sit, I think about him and he shows up, thankfully. He's never not shown up for me when I needed him. But yeah, I don't don't really have, I don't have any specific music. I don't have any particular voice lines that I use. It just happens.
0: Love that. Question for Wayland. This is actually a very damn good question. I don't even know the answer to this. From Mel Silvercrow, how was Waylon's flag raised on the nightingale? It was described as a flag in two pieces, so it's not jiving with my brain.
1: I am trying to remember how I initially described it, and this is either a misunderstanding or there's a very simple answer.
0: It was a curtain and the flag was split in two down the middle.
1: Well, so where I think the misunderstanding might be happening is me describing what the Flag of Avalon looks like, because it is split down the middle in two colors. It is blue on one side and white on the other, and the grail is in the reverse colors. So on the blue side, the grail is white, and on the white side, the grail is blue. So I I think that might be what's happening
0: Oh, they think there's a physical split. Said I
1: think that there's a physical, that they think there's a physical split down the middle, mm. which I don't know that I ever described. If I did, I could either take the boring option and say like, uh, rec- like, retcon that. It's our story. We can do what we want. Or just very simply, Wayland mended it before he handed it over. If I did ever describe it, the simple answer is Wayland would have mended it very, very quickly, very seamlessly, mind you.
0: two last questions from v sword dancer at the time the adventure starts how long has each of the crew been on the ship i know for Wayland it's been six months but what about the rest this question was spawned by article six where jory was gawking over ursa because it was the first time he'd seen someone that big
1: yeah i believe at least with ursa we had kind of described it as she just appeared one day And the reason that Jory was gawking over Ursa is because she doesn't come up from the bilge. Nope. And that was sort of one of the mysterious questions of how the fuck did she get down there without anybody noticing?
0: Mm -hmm. It's painful for her to be in the sunlight, as we we have established.
2: This question has held me in a mental headlock for so long.
1: (laughs) Same, yeah. Because it's, all right, what's the timeline of people getting recruited?
2: Timelines, man, they're so hard. Because you have to be so accurate and on point with everything that you say. Yeah, tell me about it. You and Charles at least knew each other for a very long time before there was any joining of a crew. I would have spent more time with Hawthorne in the past, but that is true. Jesse and, and Charles did know of each other.
0: Mama Coco as
2: well. I think I decided that the current crew of the Rose was established pretty soon after he returned to port from coming back from the Seventh Sea.
1: So here's an interesting question then. This has also kind of like been rattling my brain for a very long time as well. Barring Elliot's addition later on in the story, was Wayland the most recent one to join the crew?
2: Or was there someone after Wayland? Oh yeah. Hundred percent Wayland was the most recent. I think it was easier for Jesse to ask Wayland because Wayland didn't know the rose necessarily. Wayland didn't like come up to Jesse and be like, Oh, I know you and I know your ship. Wayland's sitting in a corner with a tattered ATC coat and a big ass fucking gun. Jesse's like, That guy right there.
0: Right. Give me
2: that fucking guy. That's Jason fucking Bourne right there. Jesus Christ. It's (laughs) Jason Bourne.
0: I love that. Question for Evan and Patrick. Now that you know and understand the mechanics of the game better, if you could go back to that first risk you did, freeing the crew of the Black Betty, would you change anything or do anything differently?
2: No,
1: I wouldn't change anything. The only thing I would have changed, knowing the game a little bit better now, is just how I described things. Now my mind's a little bit more attuned to the strategy of how... Seventh c works. I would want to make the same choices just because, especially in that, you know, in that first risk, so much of what Wayland did drastically affected things moving forward. I mean, fuck Roderick. If I went back and changed my approach there, we might not have Roderick as a character, which is such a shame considering that wonderful moment that you had, Evan, with him later on down the line. I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't either. I think I just would have been a little bit more descriptive with how Wayland was acting. We had to go back and change it for the release of the episode. I would have made a decision on what Samuel Flint's accent was going (laughs) to be at the (laughs) (laughs) time. Because when Uh. we first recorded it, I did not use a different accent to differentiate those two characters. Yeah. No. And What you heard was Zoe coming to me and being like, hey, we got to re-record this because you just used <laughs> the same fucking voice. <laughs> I was like, ah, uh, right, you are, because I okay. hadn't made that decision yet. I hadn't decided that that Samuel Flint sounded any different. When in reality, of course he does. He
0: needs yes, to. He needed to, yeah.
2: I wouldn't change anything because looking at what the episode is now, there's so much, so much there that we wouldn't have had Wayland saying that they were Samuel Flint. Not necessarily as a joke, but that wouldn't really have happened. We wouldn't have had Elijah. We wouldn't have Royce. That whole interaction, we wouldn't have had Jesse's story starting with even rude That wouldn't have happened. And if you hadn't said that Jonah's around, Jonah wouldn't have showed up at the end. Yep, if I hadn't invoked his name. I wouldn't have changed anything. Also because... I don't want to call that as much as lightning in a bottle, as much as it is you and I going into the game with no knowledge and being able to have the idea of just seeing whatever we can do. And that is fascinating that we managed to get through that the way that we did without having played the game before. That was a big fucking risk and we sailed through that. hmm A lot of those early
1: follies, on Wayland's part were follies on Patrick's part because Patrick didn't know as much of the history and the lore and had I known more about Jonah no way in fucking hell would I have invoked <laughs> his name three times
2: yeah. I didn't know that rule before I wouldn't I wouldn't have gone into an encounter with a duelist right I had no idea who was a duelist I was just like I want to fight him I didn't I didn't know that I was going to incapacitate him the way that I did but I did it And I'm very happy that I did because then it it led Jesse's story kicking off. And as far as like lightning in a bottle goes,
1: as you were mentioning of, I think this whole thing is sort of like lightning in a bottle. I think the the fact that we started doing this was, and how well it all worked
2: together. I don't disagree with you, but that first session, that was a big fucking session. Yeah. Yeah. To talking in a bar, to a stealth mission in which... We barely escaped combat and rescued the crew of the Black Betty. That's fucking crazy. None of that shouldn't have gone the way in any other game, if in fight in like DD, it wouldn't have gone that way at all. Yeah. Granted, we we still got lucky because of the choices that you and I made. Things could have gotten really fucked. There could have been a really big battle.
0: It could have been really bad. Absolutely. A lot of people could have died.
2: But somehow for our very first game, having never played and having very minimal knowledge of the mechanics, we had a killer session. And I still think that's one of my favorite sessions. I think the whole podcast would have felt
1: viscerally different.
2: It set the tone very quickly. Yeah.
0: Yep. For those listening who don't know the significance of the first session, the first session that you all hear is the first three episodes. That all happened in one session.
1: That is like session one. One thing I would change. I wouldn't have been as suspicious of Captain Kim. Yeah, me
2: neither. Oh. Zoe, so what would you have changed or have done differently if you could?
0: Oh, if I could?
2: Would you do anything?
0: No, not a damn thing. Yeah, I'm glad that we're all in
1: agreement. In the same mind about that, yeah. I just...
0: If I am looking at it objectively, And not to toot my own horn or anything, but I pride myself in teaching the game as it's being played because that's the best way to learn. I handed you a thing and you snatched it from my hands and ran just off into the distance with it. I couldn't get it back even if I wanted it because you both did phenomenally from that aspect. I know that it was your first time and it's daunting to think about, oh God, I'm playing a new game and this is my first session. Am I gonna mess up the rules? Am I gonna get the mechanics right? You both did flawlessly. And I felt really on top of my game. Like you were absolutely correct. It set the tone for the rest of the podcast. I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking excited about pirates. These boys know what they're doing. They're gonna take this and run with it. This is gonna be great. And it's only gotten better from there.
2: It really has. Looking back, we know obviously, by by the nature of doing things over and over again, we kinda know what we're doing. We do. It's real weird to think about. It's weird <laughs> to think about
1: the fact that we it's like, oh, I know how to play this game. I now. know
2: how to play the game.
1: Like, I know really well how to
2: play this game. I know mm-hmm. how to abuse the system. And I know how to do cool things with but my I friends. also know how to
0: <laughs> Ask for Letter of Mark every single time. You
2: know what? Uh, It's (laughs) time. If I didn't, if I didn't, nobody would.
0: (laughs) Somebody's gotta gotta, gotta
2: ask. Somebody's gotta do the job. (laughs) I'm the janitor doing the dirty work here.
0: Creative Garden asks, this might be a question for Zoe, or it might be more about my lack of understanding of 7C mechanics. I've heard D&D game masters talk about building a loose structure or arc for their players all the way out to level 20. Because tying the plot of the story directly into the meanings and motivations of characters makes the whole thing more compelling. Is this the case for Jesse and Wayland? Do you have a general idea of what conflicts they will encounter for each manifest, which means each season?
1: We have the idea of who the villains are going to be for each season.
0: I mean, we've already talked about whose fault it is for each season. <laughs>
1: right. First season, Wayland's fault. Second uh-huh. season, Jesse's fault. We know this.
0: Third season's my fault. <laughs> And then the final question for this episode. Final question,
2: oh my
0: God. It's the final question for this
1: episode. Just this episode. We'll have many more. Not that
2: we haven't mentioned this already. If you do have questions in our Discord, feel free to ask them. In the the Newton-Queries section, we have a channel specifically for questions. And feel free to ask us. On any of our other socials, either Twitter, Instagram, that's it. We just have those two.
1: Any questions that can be very like quickly answered, we will probably answer in text form.
2: Yes. Any questions that can easily be answered with a sentence or a word, I try to answer the Discord as much as possible, just because they're easy.
0: Final question. Officer V asks, Through Wayland, it's revealed that Mama Coco is blind. Does anyone else, Jesse and the crew, know, if so, who? And probably when? Jesse knew from the beginning.
2: I just didn't think it was important to say. It didn't make that much of a difference.
0: It didn't, because the second the Mama Coco walked on the ship, you know, it probably took a little bit of uh, acclimation, but there's a reason why Hawthorne gets super frustrated that the ship has to be changed. It's partially because Mama Coco's used to it. Once you walk around something long enough, if something changes on you drastically, especially if you're blind. I do
1: think that there were probably a few people that didn't know. I think Klaus has to.
0: Klaus does. Yep. Absolutely. Agnes knew.
1: I think it's funny if Wayland is the only person who didn't notice.
0: (laughs) It's so funny because he has eagle eyes.
1: Well, and that's why I don't think it makes (laughs) sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because at some point he would have noticed if it was obvious. It's like seeing some
2: colored contacts. It's like kind of uncanny canny valley, especially for someone who looks for details. If you're looking for something, you're not going to see the most obvious thing right
0: in front of you. I've described Mama Coco's eyes as being entirely white. I think the only way that you could have known was if she ever got disoriented around you. And that usually only ever happened when there was loud noises, which is a very big reason as to why I stated that Mama Coco hates loud noises. It's because it disorients her so much. I don't think Jory really knew. No, I don't think Jory knew. (laughs) Ursa definitely didn't know. She doesn't, again, come up top ever. I think Roz knew. Roz definitely knew. Charles? Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That's all we've got for today.
2: Those are your questions.
0: Thanks for your questions. Yeah. Thank you very much for asking questions. Thanks for joining us.
2: I'll go console Greg after we're done.
0: I'm going to go find a person who is versed in the Japanese art of tea. And we'll see you next time.
2: Adios, punk asses. See you later.
0: And remember, be safe and well.